0: Bismillah uh, We're just switching the order, essentially. So uh, normally we do the MFL gathering and then we have the uh, questions afterward. But because it's uh, a little cold outside, we figured we would start with the questions here and then sort of limit the, the exposure time outdoors. Um, uh, if possible, by a little bit. So uh, if there are additional questions, again, we'll spend about maybe 10 to 15 minutes with the questions. Uh, the sisters can please pass them up. I have a handful here that need to be addressed, but uh, we should be able to get through them, inshallah, so that we can clear this, uh, we can clear this for now. Um, but yes, please feel free to pass up uh, the additional questions in the meantime, inshallah. Um, okay, so there's a simple question here about is sadr uh, the same as heart? Uh, you know, the Qur'an uses different words uh, to describe the heart. Qalb comes in hadith, it comes in the Qur'an. Sadr uh, refers to chest uh, Allah Ta'ala references in the Quran islam uh, That the chest opens up and the Nur of Allah Ta'ala enters So uh, it's an academic discussion But um, there's, there's a lot of overlap um, Nowadays there's a lot of talk about mindfulness This is another question, sorry A lot of talk about mindfulness and secular meditation Should us Muslims be reading this research and taking this advice? Should we incorporate this with Islamic meditation? Okay, this is a good question. Uh, Because it's a question that's on a lot of people's minds. Um, You know, mindfulness, uh, meditative techniques. They're becoming so, um, (laughs) this is interesting because there's so many layers to the question. They're becoming so common in society, even though this is a practice that predates any current research Uh, or psychology, Uh, this goes into other traditions as well. But the reason that it's becoming so prominent in this day and age is because there's a lot more uh, suffering from a mental health perspective in this day and age. So in order to sort of combat that, this is coming a bit more to the forefront. And it's not a bad thing, I think it's a good thing, Uh, but the bigger question is why is it that we're all requiring so much um, of, a, of a, a reaction or a response. I mean, what is it that we're doing wrong to begin with that's resulting in the mental health crisis that we're dealing with today? So I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves uh, as Muslims in particular. And because we're supposed to be the solution to all problems, we certainly don't want to be ones that are contributing to it. So I think it's important for us to uh, appreciate that the more exposure we have to the dunya, and dunya is different than alam. Alam refers to this world. Dunya refers to like this temporary world and attaching oneself to it. That's what dunya means. Whereas Adam is something to be mesmerized with, and that refers to the the universe. Um, But the more the person interacts with and dreams about and thinks about the dunya, uh, inevitably that will result in a, uh, a struggle emotionally and psychologically. And the more a person detaches from the dunya, the, the healthier they will be. Because again, we're talking about the soul and the elevation of the soul being something that occurs with heavenly interaction, not with a worldly interaction. So uh, as Muslims, it's important to think, of, to think about. and It's important to communicate with people around us too. Um, there's just a, a lot of suffering in this day and age. And I think this is particularly important when it comes to our children. Uh, you know, we assume, like, you know, we, we have to be very mindful of the activities that our children are involved in that are of detriment to their mental health. Um, for instance, you know, having uh, unlimited access to, to screens and unlimited access to social media and to think that this is not a problem. I mean, the problem is that it is a problem. And the problem is that we're now seeing the results of this. There's a reason why, if you look at most mental health issues today, Including and, and measures of depression, ADHD, um, loneliness. There's actually a measure for loneliness scientifically. Uh, essentially, every single scale is headed in the wrong direction upward. And this is a problem for Muslims as well. Uh, so, When it comes to our children, we have to be very mindful of this. And there are certain things that are going to contribute to improved well-being mentally, and certain things that are gonna contribute to their detriment. And we should be very mindful of this, and we should really take heed of this and not just take this situation lightly, because it's just not fair to our children. We're their parents. We know better than they know at this point. And that doesn't mean that you have to scold them or whatever, but it just means just be mindful of the environment that you're putting them in. If you know, for for a parent, it's a lot easier to say, "Here, take my phone for a half an hour while we're at a party somewhere and just stare at the screen," uh, than for me to have to interact with them and engage them. It's just it's, a, it's an easier babysitter. Um, so, I mean, that requires sacrifice on the part of the parents, and I think it's important to keep that in mind. Going back to this question about mindfulness and secular meditation. Mindfulness is just to be present in the present is to be aware of the present moment intentionally. And and in 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 the science of, uh, of, uh, of 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 purification and spirituality, this essentially is something that we call um, well there's d- different words for it, but this is what wuquf is. When when the heart is sort of stuck and, uh, and aware in that present moment of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. The deen highly encourages us to be in the present moment and not elsewhere. Okay? So, this concept of being mindful in the moment, this is a deeni principle. It has always been a deeni principle. It's only now coming to the forefront. Now, the exercise of mindfulness, which is a meditative practice for 10 or 15 minutes, this is when a person is purposely sitting down with the intention of being mindful. And muraqabah is essentially what this is. Now in this case with muraqaba, what we're doing is we're being attentive to the heart. So it is in and of itself a form of mindfulness, but again, it's embedded in tradition and it's embedded in, in, in our practice. So does it replace mindfulness for people that need it from a mental health perspective? Not necessarily, but it can be helpful. I would think about it like this. It's almost like a maintenance therapy more than anything else. and in some cases a recovery, If someone's having an anxiety attack and they sit for meditation for five minutes, it's going to have an improved result. Munaqabat is the same thing. So it has the worldly the, the benefit in this world, but it has the added benefit of improving the heart's connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's, I think it's important to learn about the research behind it. Um, but I think that the more important thing is to recognize that our Deen uh, has the tools that are necessary to facilitate a lot of a person's well-being. We don't necessarily have to look elsewhere. Now, of course, in certain cases of severe illness and things like this, not even severe, maybe moderate to severe illness, if you look at the da- data behind the treatment of mild to moderate depression or mild to moderate anxiety in randomized controlled trials, for those of you that have an interest in research and science, there's actually not much of a difference behind, between, between um, cognitive or behavioral or mindfulness-based therapies and medication. It's in the more severe forms where there's a, there's a, there's a significant difference where medication is definitely shown to improve outcome. But the majority of people are not at that state, they're at the mild level, but for physicians and things like this, it's a lot easier to give a prescription than it is to, and and for the society, it's a lot less expensive to to prescribe pills than it is to sit with someone and actually have a session on therapy. Or for a person themselves to get onto a routine of therapy, it's a lot more expensive and time consuming. So the shortcut is is medication, so that's where we find ourselves. Um, So anyways, that's the sort of long answer to that question. Okay, shaitan wants to control the heart from the brain. Or bane. I, I don't, for, for a feeling, nafs, things like that. Okay, so shaitan wants to control the heart. We need to control the brain, feelings, nafs, by the heart. Is this a true concert? Uh, so I think what this is asking is what role does the brain play in this whole idea of thoughts, and this whole idea of nafs and desires and things like this. This is a really complicated question and a complicated discussion. And um, I I think the simple answer to this is that, uh, and I'm saying this, I can say this about the brain, I have a little bit of authority when it comes to the brain. (laughs) Uh, The brain is responsible for a lot of things, including our emotion, including for our thinking, our psychology, Uh, but what we still haven't been able to prove with the brain yet is uh, consciousness, for instance, is something that's not really well explained despite our science of of understanding of the brain today, which is remarkable. The difference between life and death and awareness and not awareness, I mean, that we haven't really figured out. And that's got to be something that's beyond the science of the brain. Um, similarly, you know, morality can be explained to some degree depending on the shape and structure of a person's brain and the areas that are more div- more um, enlarged and, and, and shrunken. But it's not fully explained by it. And another concept that's not really explained um, is just the concept of life in general. So anyways... There's, uh, when we're talking about the soul in particular and the nafs and desires and things like this, from, our, from a faith-based perspective, our understanding is that this is from the heart. Where is the soul seat of the nafs? Is it somewhere related to the brain or is it not? I, I don't think we know the answer to that exactly. Um, so I, I guess the, uh, the important thing to recognize is that when we're talking about the heart also, by the way, we're not referring to the physical heart. We're talking about We're talking about the spiritual heart. So where exactly the spiritual heart, physically where it is, or how does it tie into the, sorry, the, the spiritual heart, how does it tie into the physical heart, we don't actually know. But when I'm referring to qalb and heart from the talks and the sessions, I'm not referring to the, the physical heart that's beating. That's, that's a different thing altogether. Um, okay, great question. Uh, does, uh, I think there's a saying, does muhasaba of the nafs, محاسبة النفس overlap with muraqaba. If not, can one do both in the same sitting? So muhasaba means to take account of a person's self uh, you can, If you look at the Arabic here, the, a lot of these words like muhasabah and muraqaba, They're, they're very similar uh, conjugation or verb forms uh, There's a reason for that because, uh, Anyways, so muraqaba is a person watching over And there's different forms of muraqaba. The muraqaba that I've described here to everyone in the last few days uh, or, or for those that have been practicing it for, for a while now that's a particular form of dhikr where a person sits and imagines Allah Ta'ala's name being called. And I mentioned yesterday, this morning how there's many lessons in muraqaba that a person can potentially advance themselves in and experience uh, in a different form. Uh, but muraqaba is a broader term also. So a person can do muraqaba of uh, Allah Ta'ala's name. You could do muraqaba of the grave where you're imagining that you're lying in your grave and you're there. You can do muraqaba of the day of judgment where you're imagining that you're actually Uh, there on the Day of Judgment and having to deal with it. So it's a reflective state, you can say. Muhassaba is slightly different. That's when a person is sort of taking account of where they are, where they stand with Allah, what their desires are, what their struggles are. And that should also be a daily practice. It's a contemplative practice as well. But it's me, myself, just having a conversation with myself about what it is that I need to do, where am I making mistakes, how can I improve my life. In my relationship with Allah That's what muhasaba is So yes, it can be done in the same sitting In the sense of you can start with one And go to the other or vice versa the, But the muraqabah that I'm talking about Is a particular form of dhikr Whereas muhasaba is not in and of itself A form of dhikr It's a, for, it's a contemplative practice So uh, how does it balance one desire, desire to do good deeds That will be visible to others And staying humble And not developing pride Or becoming prideful So um, you know, uh, the, the beauty of our deen uh, is that there are certain things that are done in privacy and there are certain things that are done in, in, in the public setting. And the reason that things are done so publicly sometimes is because we need the energy to be able to do this. Let me give you an example. This morning, anyone that walked into this room at like 10 o'clock or 9.15 or whatever it may be, um, there was just so much energy with the Qur'an. You felt this buzz and as soon as you walked in, you almost felt like, oh my gosh, I'm late, I didn't sign up, what am I missing out on? And you grab your Quran and you started reading. Um, you know, and then not only that, Children that would walk in just saw everyone else doing it and they themselves wanted to do it because the togetherness is what generates energy. This is the reason that we're spending the entire weekend or four days together because yes, you and I can do our own zikr on our own, we can pray on our own, we can do muraqabah on our own, we can reflect on our own, but the likelihood of us doing it is much lower than if we, you know, we were to try to do it together. Try to get kids at 10 o- 9 o'clock in the morning in your home Just say, Every- everybody grab a Qur'an and start reading. Good luck. Here, the kids walked in Without anyone saying anything, they try to signing up for and in the back, they're the first ones that are reading. There's like 10 kids just reading open, like just so energetically because togetherness in Deen is a very powerful tool. Now the, the, the counter to that is that, well, well, okay, but then am I now doing things for other reasons because I want people to see it? When I go to pray in the masjid must- for congregational prayer, am I doing it because other people can see me and, and that becomes a problem. So I think this is a long uh, this is a very detailed question. But one simple thing that uh, I would advise is that whatever you present in public, in terms of worship and things like this, that you have at least that same amount uh, that you're doing in private as well. Um, So what I mean by this is have some sort of a balance. So, if it's a habit that I'm going to recite some Quran in public, then I should also do it in private. If I'm giving some sadaqah in public, then I have to also do some privately. If I'm doing zikr publicly, when people can see me, I should also be doing a little bit of zikr behind closed doors when no one can see me but Allah. So, that's one simple way by which a person can um, can deal with this pride issue. Um, the other thing, oh, this is where it came up. It came up in, in the last mafil gathering. That's what it was. It was in the gathering. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'll say this, this is a point that I said, and I hope it doesn't get people getting confused by it. Because when we do things for the sake of other people and we do something for the sake of Allah, what we get in return from Allah is always going to be far greater than what we get from people. I'm not just talking about reward, I'm even talking about a sense of contentment and appreciation. Allah Ta'ala is far better at giving that than people are. But you will only realize this once you've tried both. And you've tried it, and and eventually you'll reach a point where you're like the attention I get from people when I'm doing deeds um, It doesn't, it's not carrying any weight for me, it's completely worthless and ultimately um, uh, uh, Ultimately the the, the attention I get from Allah Ta'ala is so much more worth it So sometimes I'll tell people, okay, if you think you struggle with pride Spend, you know, go ahead and just do it for the sake of other people. Spend some time doing it for the sake of other people. And guaranteed in a few months, you'll come back and be like, that was, that was pointless. And then, then you'll know that there's nothing there. Because it looks great when people, you know, praise you and they say good things about you. It feels good in the moment. But in the long term, it doesn't create any sort of contentment. That contentment is only going to be fulfilling from Allah. But unless you fully immerse yourself in the, content, in the praise of other people, you're not going to know how empty it is. It feels great initially, but eventually it's like, whatever. Right? Imams sort of have this issue. It gets excited when you get to lead salah the first few times. Eventually you do it over and over again. You're just like tired of hearing people's praises because with that comes their hate. I mean, it's, it's whatever. Just forget it. You know? So anyways, uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's just a side point. So we'll pause here, inshallah.